Good evening. Sometimes I think the world is ending, so I figured I would do a Child's Play 2 commentary. Having a great evening, and um, Child's Play 2, just if I don't end up, uh, so this is the commentary for it, I'll start it in a couple minutes. As it's fresh on my mind, the parents in it, Garrett Graham, he was actually in Last Resort, I believe, a movie with uh, Charles Grodin, I remember from the 80s. Uh, Police Academy 6, he played Ace. You know, he was in Phantom of the uh, Paradise, his character of Beef. You know, very, uh, also small role in um, Chopping Mall. So, I think he does a very strange job, uh, you know, that's a strange character in the movie of Child's Play 2. But I figured that I would mention some of his credits because... You know, he's not like a super big name, but when you point out what he's in... In fact, he's like um, one of the people in uh, Sidekicks, the Chuck Norris movie with uh, Jonathan Brandis. I was kind of partial to that. Um, Also, I didn't remember that there was a a Dumb and Dumber animated series, and he was uh, seemingly playing the character of Harlan Williams that Harlan Williams played in that in the animated series. So he's done quite a lot of animation, Garrett Graham as well. Uh, so I hope everyone's having a, a, a good evening. Oh, and also My, my Girl too. Um, this Boy's Life. Seems like the early 90s he was getting some you know, pretty uh, prominent roles in some moderately budgeted movies. Um you know, I got an uncredited voice credit in uh, Little Mermaid as well. Also in Martians Go Home and Chud 2. One episode of Dear John. And then obviously Jenny Agder, just a beautiful, beautiful woman um, from Logan's Run. Everyone probably knows her from. Though um, so without much further ado, I have the volume at a little bit of a lower volume. So you might hear parts of the movie at times. But um, Child's Play 2, I think, is, oh gosh, it's really hard to say it's my favorite of the series, but um, I'm, I'm very partial to it. I developed an online friendship with the, um, the man that plays Chucky, actually, you know, like the, the physical movements of the doll. He's a, obviously a smaller person, and he also played Howard the Duck as well. Uh, should probably look into becoming to to seeing him or talking in person sometime. He was just wonderful to hear the different things he would say about uh, playing those wonderful roles and how fun it was, and also how you know when he's not in Child's Play Three, he's notably there's a notable difference, I guess, in his opinion. I I, I honestly I could see I guess what he's talking about, but if someone told me that he was in Child's Play Three, I would be like, wow, that's you know, it's still him. And I, I guess that's, to that point, I enjoyed Child's Play 1 and 2 even more because I absolutely know that it's him that's in it. And there's some really good physicality of Howard the Duck and, and Chucky, obviously. I mean, what would the 80s and 90s be without Howard the Duck and Chucky? What would movie history be without those two characters? Um, so rest in peace to John Lafia. He directed this movie, Child's Play 2. In addition to uh, Man's Best Friend with Ali Sheedy, um, 
He died earlier last year in 2020. He was involved in the art department, a lot of other movies. Um, for Repo Man, he was involved in that. But yeah, honestly, these are his two big movies. I guess a movie called The Rats. I don't know if they ever got wide release. And then he was involved in writing of the 2019 um, Child's Play. So I didn't know that. I really didn't know that John Lafayette was involved in the 2019 uh, uh, movie at all. It makes me want to see the movie even more. I mean, I didn't want to see it at all, so it makes me want to see the movie. Um... So, yeah, without much further ado, I think I'll go ahead and start the movie. If you have it on uh, DVD, I think you'll appreciate being able to, um, you know, have it on DVD. <laughs> I guess it's on streaming, too. I don't know. You know, watch it however you want. And I'll go ahead and start the movie, and we'll get into some of the information regarding it. Um, box office-wise, we'll talk about it at the time, but... This really was a cool time period. I was about ten years old or so. I don't believe I was. I don't believe I saw it in theaters, uh, but definitely uh, it was. It was quite the, you know, the talk, and then uh, seeing it in the video store and all the time through the years, and seeing it on cable is just one of the more classic of the horror genre. Thirteen million dollar budgeted, opened at ten point seven million, so it basically makes its budget back. Very early on, it goes on to make thirty-five million worldwide, twenty-eight in the uh, in the United States or you know North America, I guess. Well, let's go ahead and start the movie. Counting down from five, four, three, two, one, and on one, I will be pressing play. So five, four, three, two, one, play. And here we are with. I lower the TV, but hopefully you can't hear it all that much. Um, all the different Universal logos. Universal seems always obsessed with putting their logo everywhere. Various varieties of the logo. So if you're starting this now, it started at about 6.20. And I believe it's an hour and a half or so. So thank you for joining us. Ugh. It was just a terrific movie. Uh, Emily Valentine from uh, Beverly Hills 90210 is in this film as well, among other things. And what I like about this movie is that, uh, similar to Children of the Corn 3, which I think is the best of that franchise, whereas you got two you know, relatively age-separated foster children put into a, a new house, a new living environment. Um, both filmed likely in the same areas. I know a lot of location shooting is done in Chicago, but some in LA, LA or California. Uh, whereas Child's Play 1, I believe, was mostly a Chicago or Illinois based shoot. You gotta love this like production design and practical look of uh, the, the wrecked Chucky doll. And, um, you know, very grotesque and everything like that, but makes for a really good credit sequence and kind of explains immediately how the Chucky doll is going to get rocky, or how they're going to resurrect it, how the Chucky doll is going to come back into prominence in the second one after its savage uh, end in the first. 
I'm a huge fan of the first one and also the work of Tom Holland, who directed Fatal Beauty a year or two before Child's Play 1. And I really do consider that almost a prequel to it because in that, Brad Dourif plays a very maniacal, uh, you know, almost like a buddy type character. Um, and then, you know, just a year later, he's, you know, portraying uh, the killer and the, and the voice of the killer doll going forward and something that Tom Holland created. So I've never really heard anyone, you know, make that argument. But where would the series be without Tom Holland? Where would the movie be without Brad Dourif? Where would Brad Dourif's inspiration for being a crazy killer be except for playing it in a Tom Holland movie just, you know, very not that far before this release of this movie? So, I mean, it's a doll-making fascination here, too. You know, you always wonder exactly how they assemble these dolls. And here you're seeing that, you know, you just... I mean, some people take them apart just to see how they're put together. And this is a pretty cool little process. Um, this movie is really, 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 really well edited in terms of the angles here and these kind of scenes. Um, but then also, like, obviously towards the end of the movie when they're running around the factory and all that with all the different Chucky dolls and the packaging everywhere. To edit that properly without it looking... I mean, with it... To, to maximize its... Uh, horror aspect of it is not easy and it makes it almost like a video game at the end too when that guy gets his eyes popped out on the assembly line it's just really like a almost a mix between home alone and a really crazy itchy and scratchy movie um and it's just really cool i think that this might be i don't know it's hard to tell about this location of course gentleman on the left is a very, very good actor. I wish he was used more, but he was an anchorman and a variety of movies in the 90s and 2000s, TV shows like Ally McBeal, and, you know, guest starring on all sorts of different things. I think he does a really good job in this film, playing his brief role. This older man, I'm sure he's perished by now. Um, Peter Haskell is Sullivan, I believe. I believe that's him. Poor guy. Yeah, Peter Haskell. Pretty good actor, character actor. Dude died in 2010. Obviously, he was in Child's Play 2 and 3. Or, was it? Is this? Nah, I don't think that's him. I mean, I don't think that he was in Child's Play 3. Maybe it's just like a flashback or something. Played Bob Vernon on Frasier. I remember that. He's the... The guy that, uh, I think the Spokane radio guy, a lot, uh, you gotta love the beginning of this, it's just a peek into the toy industry, and seeing a quality control report, and I love the board meeting that happens in a minute, you know, they, they blame the kid for the, the massacres and all that. You gotta love the size of that doll. It's just, it's a little bit smaller than what a, you know, a small human being or, a, you know, a little person is. And to think that that little person, you know, my friend, my, my online friend, Ed Gale, he portrayed it. It's just, wow, you know? It's, it's hard to really catch the movements on film of a small moving 
low to the ground creature like that, especially, you know, it's hard to put tracking into the, and all of that. Once you put, once the creature's animated and killing things, I, that's why I love these movies. It's, it's pretty amazing to see. Now this is crazy. Uh, I'm not sure everyone always remembers this kill. I tend to not remember that kill. And I remember Greg Gurman being killed as the first kill in the movie. So it's kind of sad uh, that my memory was off there. But, you know, now we have Chucky being in, or excuse me, Andy being in custody. And his mom, you know, in real life, having married Kevin Yeager, the creature designer. And in real life, being on to all sorts of other roles in more prominent movies. So she's no longer relevant um, and no longer in this movie. And she's just gone crazy by Andy. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And um, I'm talking, you know, very, very sad aspect of the, of the five movie Chucky trilogy. I believe it's five movies. It goes three, four, five, six, seven, actually seven. I believe at the end of part six, the Andy character as a grown adult is shown uh, talking to the mother, and she's not in a hospital anymore. Maybe she is, I don't know. But he's at least having a relationship with her still, which is odd. To get through all of what these events of these uh, first three movies are, and then you know, come out the other side wanting to talk to her, it's pretty amazing. I mean, he's involved in the killings of so many different people. Whether or not he's... The killer, Andy, is involved in these killings at a certain point. I mean, I'm not implicating him, and they are clearly. You know, the movie plots are always implicating Andy. But he is does have some involvement. I mean, <laughs> and even if he's not involved, he's seeing the deaths of all these people around him. Yeah. So that's probably the better word, is that he's having results from the actions of Chucky wherever he goes. And the results are pretty serious because... You know, who wants to be involved with, you know, 30-plus people getting murdered over a four- or five-year period? So, yeah, they say that he's traumatized by the murders here. Here's Grace Zabriskie. Um, I don't know if you would say she's a character actress, but, you know, she's got a haunting face that is in a lot of different movies. Um, she was on Twin Peaks. Um, whoops, that's Christina Lee. Beautiful Christina Lee. You'll see her in a couple of minutes. And here's Garrett Graham. And he seems more reticent to take on the kid, just like how the father in Children of the Corn 3 is kind of like aloof towards the children and protective of their, you know, toys and, or, you know, their collectibles. Charles Lee Ray. Yeah, the character in Fatal Beauty is similar to Charles Lee Ray. In my opinion, he's more of a drug dealer, but he's definitely a pretty brutal killer as well. Apparently, she's an Armageddon as well. Wild at heart. She's worked with David Lynch in many movies. Santa Clarita Diet. Television perks. He's really advocating for Andy that he really just wants to get on with his life. And to some extent, he does, but... To some extent, he's got his feet firmly planted in reality once his stuff starts happening again. He knows exactly what's going on. Um, so Jenny Agater, 
You know, she wants to get to know the kid. The kid's wearing a nice 80s and 90s style sweater. And, yeah, he loves to have chocolate, of course. Sad to think that, uh, you know, they, they look a little bit like they want to be helpful to him, but they're a little bit more doubtful of him as well. It's kind of odd to me. So a big truck almost hits it. So, yeah, oh, my, my mistake. I guess she's most prominently known for the grudge. I mean, that haunting thing when uh, Tom Cruise's cousin, William Mapather and um, Clea Duvall, you know, they're having to caretake for the older lady. She's the older lady that it's haunted by the uh, awful, awful sights of the grudge. Uh, those very horrifying creatures, children creatures. Um, and then obviously you're going to see, um, the Emily Valentine character in a minute, Kyle, uh, Christina Lee's Emily Valentine was very pro or not very prominent, but a very interesting Phoenix type character in, uh, Beverly Hills 90210. I'm not too sure what she's done. Oh, I guess she was on, um. I guess she was on the reboot of Now to uh, briefly. All right, uh, or she played herself in the failed reality show based on Now to and I don't even know what that was. She was definitely on ER. She was in the Get Shorty television program. Big Bubble. That looks like it's like a bubble, like one of those big bubble glass art. It's not glass, it's ceramic, I guess. But just like in Children of the Corn 2, um, you know, the things fall apart. <laughs> like they, they break collectibles, these little kids that you get in the foster program from horror families. Did you know that? They'll break your collectibles. So... And she's basically been in TV mainly after uh, after being in Child's Play 2. She was in Boiling Point. She was in Body Snatchers. But mainly in a lot of TV. She was in Defenseless, a movie with uh, um, Barbara Hershey that I saw uh, years ago. And then I tried watching again, but hadn't, didn't get through it all the way. Ba-ba-ba-ba-doo! And... Uh, they're having fun there. I think that, yeah, she's smoking cigarettes. That's fine. Hey, Curly. This is my dog. I'm I'm doing a commentary. My dog come up right on me here. And uh, I'm in the middle of doing something right now. So, yeah. Don't do that. Um, um, so what's everyone's favorite part of the movie? These might be my favorite parts because it's basically just establishing the strange dynamic being set up here in the house. It's, uh, 
a temporary foster home. She doesn't really re- respect the conditions. And, she, you know, though she'll regard this kid as her brother, it's not overly, you know, similar to, almost in that regard to Halloween 4. Like Ellie Cornell's character tells her, you're not my real sister, but, uh, you know, we love you just the same, kind of. So it's, it's interesting. Whereas in Children of the Corn 3, the kid and, you know, their their brothers and foster brothers kind of close because of the bond of what happened to them or what happened during Children of the Corn 2. But then, obviously, the Children of the Corn 3, the kid is the bad one, and he's very, very, very uh, charismatic of a preacher as well. A pretty damn big doll. So they definitely had to make the doll pretty damn large in order to make it when the little person's running around as the doll that it doesn't look like that big of a difference. I hope, you know, I guess people understand that. So I hope the audio on this is okay. And believe it or not, we're already 21 minutes into the movie. I always tend to think that this is the first scene in the movie, but it's actually, you know, 21 minutes in. And motherfucking uh, Chucky doesn't want you to shut the uh, the the trunk. He wants you to be put in the back seat, and then when you go buy the vodka, he's gonna be planning this guy's demise. And this is a pretty good kill. Chucky does a pretty good job here. <laughs> And it's amazing. You think about Jason and Michael Myers, the physicality of those characters. It's like the, maybe the number one thing you can point out about them other than that they're uh, masked. You know, obviously they're masked killers, but they're these hulking, unbelievable presences that are going to destroy you. That's clearly never an issue with uh, Chucky. But yet, his little nimble moves... And stuff like that that they're able to do. It's pretty amazing. So, you know, Ed Gale and the puppeteers basically are, you know, the most unheralded slasher in in, in history. I was going to do Child's Play 1 first. And I was going to mention it earlier, but honestly, I like it. I like this one a lot, too. I just can't really find that DVD for it. But this one just... Such a crass, or not a crass, it has such a great commercial aspect to it. I really do like this one. It's a little more upmarket than part one. Um, now, that was a great little move because in part one, they never really show too many planning gestures, but that was definitely Chucky tipping off that he's planning some malevolence. I'm not really sure what this is. Oh, so Grace Zabriskie. Crazy ass doll making a cell phone call. That kind of thing I don't think was going on in the first one. Like I'm saying, it's a little more upmarket, this one. He was just basically doing tactical stuff to get the kills, like, you know, knocking dynamite off from Empty Nest out the uh, apartment window and all that. Yeah, some other kills as well, but basically more nimble, quick moves. Not really setting traps like he's doing in this one. So he's got to think something's off if... Or something's not right if 
his car alarms going off, especially in the early 90s. That's, I'm being sarcastic in a way, but also truthful. Like, those things would go off all the time, but still, he's, he just gets in and drives away. He doesn't look around, doesn't, doesn't see what's missing, nothing like that. Because he could possibly have the physical advantage on that little Chucky doll if he's, you know, coming at it like he's going to look around and go in the back seat and see what happens. Chucky doll just doesn't even fuck around here. He just pulls a gun on him. Now, I remember this kill being a lot different. I think he does put a bag over his head in a minute. But if I had to describe to you how this scene was, I would have said that it let off the movie and that it was a quick scene where he gets all arrogant. And, you know, he's taking the doll home, goes by his vodka. And then um, as he's parking, he gets a bag over his head. I wouldn't have remembered all this part. So I got to say... The way I remember it is a little bit, not that this is bad or anything like that, but this is a little bit drawn out for the first non-electrical machine kill. You know, that first kill was just, you know, foreboding. This one is actually like Chucky trying to get some stuff done. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. He used a cell phone to call Grace Poole to get the address for Andy. And now he's basically hijacking this guy. And he's got the jumper up around his hands. And you got Greg Gurman just doing great as an actor. But really, a really manipulative little Chucky doll here. He's you know, joking around with the gun, and then he's going to slip the bag over his head. That's right. Yep. Kind of sad. Now that's how it goes. Seems like, I mean, I know Greg Gurman's not a very strong man, but he is a man. I guess you really can't break out of a jump rope tied around your hands. I don't think I could, now that I'm saying it. I thought I could at first, but maybe there would be a way you could knock Chucky over a little bit. I mean, he's only 15, 20 pounds, right? I mean, how heavy can a doll be? And now I know the human little person is like however many pounds. That's why there's such a big difference between... Uh, what an actual My Buddy doll was or a Teddy Ruxpin doll and what the size of a Chucky doll is when you think about it in practicality. But yeah, enjoy this scene here for a second. I'm going to do something. Good, great scene. Chucky... Figuring out where Andy's house is. You know, merge him right up on there. Classic scene. Shot from his POV. There's quite a lot of POV shots in part one. That was a really good similar shot to one of those. Similar to Hansel and Gretel, this plot of this. I guess that's what these horror movies are in a way. Horatzel and Gretel, little derivatives. Halloween 4, even though they're the same gender, it's Ellie Cornell and what's her name kind of being Hansel and Gretel. Children of the Corn 3, similar. And she seems so much more loving and affectionate towards this kid than um, the Garrett Graham. Don't really buy them. I mean, I don't not buy them as a couple, but it's like their house is so nondescript. It looks like 
but they just move in and then overly um like what's their story why are they just fostering kids all of a sudden and why are they fostering um emily valentine to begin with how long have they been fostering her because she's got such a i don't give a fuck attitude towards them has he been untoward towards her I mean, this is an R-rated movie, but it doesn't even have any interest in going over further shit. Okay, so that's a funny little play there that um, he finds the real Chucky doll. Even now, I still get confused. It's like, oh my god, there's two violent killer dolls? But no. Um, Only Chucky, and Chucky's destroying the toy doll. And the toy doll looks, you know, pretty fucking scary. (laughs) Um, he's got a strange little tractor. I don't know if they just gave him that tractor. Much about that kid's room doesn't really look like he could really have much fun. It seems pretty, uh, stayed. And obviously, Chucky is burying the evidence of a doll. I guess that's pretty symbolic. He's always into symbolic kind of stuff, because I don't really know why he would do that. Um, but... He's obviously destroyed that collectible, and Garrett Graham is going to escalate things. When people do something wrong, and then they act... Or people do something that someone doesn't like, and then they act more upset about it, and never is positive. Do either of you have known anything about what happened with this, he says? It's like, fuck off, fucker. (laughs) Kyle, that statue is very important to us. Yeah, no shit. It's more important than them. And she's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm innocent. Like, it's a trial. Garrett Graham looks like he could be, like, Jeffrey Jones's like, more leading man brother or something. So she had a date tonight. That's always kind of vague. So I believe he takes a hit off the cigarette here. And she just kind of, you know, unloads on him a little bit here with her, like, late 80s, 90s style here. Hey, mind if I say your name backwards? And then Kyle uh, says her name and turns around. What a cute little kid. It looks like everything he's wearing is straight out of the uh, like Montgomery Ward catalog. Like, just bought by the costume designer. So she's trying to make sure that he doesn't smoke. She's not necessarily a grown-up. He says you're not a grown-up. You can really see how he looks different, like just even a year or two later after the first movie. He's clearly not very tall, but like just the way that people's faces develop and stuff like that, his eyes look like they like more rounded into form. And if you look at him in later movies, he looks similar. His face is just the more defined more in this one than um, in part one, where he's basically like. Very young and does a really good performance. I say as good a performance as Henry Thomas in E.T. So this little fucking Garrett Graham, he's just piling on this kid. They don't understand about having kids, how they can hear everything. He may need a lot more attention than they can give him. He had, they should have really... I noticed Grace of Brisky was trying to make that sale and really trying to advocate, quote-unquote, for... Andy, but Andy has 
probably his. I mean, if the mother really went crazy and like she really is not available, why were there no other relatives that he could have gone to? Because I wouldn't recommend him going to a group home or uh, a psych ward or anything like that, which is about to be where he was about to go. And I would almost recommend that over these dysfunctional fucks. But I think if it was just Jenny Agutter and no Garrett Graham and maybe Jenny Agutter with like some supportive, uh, more alpha type husband, then that would be, that would be more positive. Um... Hmm. Wait, I'm confused. What is he bur- okay, he buried and killed the other doll. And he has batteries and I don't get it. Anyway, I think he's maybe starting to realize that they could be right and he's he could be wrong, but I think that Chucky's just pulling one over on him. So he's starting to talk about his mom and dad. He says, do you miss your mom and dad? I think I remember hearing that this was like somewhere in Pasadena. Let me look up some of the filming locations. I would have thought that she would have gone on. I mean, I know she's doing a lot of TV. She's got a good kind of look, movies, and Clea Duvall maybe just kind of market corrected her and took some of her roles, I guess. I'm not overly sure, but, um, you know, she's older than Clea Duvall, so. The house was um, South Pasadena, 2035 Milan, Uh, with all the pandemic restrictions, I don't really know about going out to that. The factory was uh, by the docks in Long Beach. And it would be really cool to go to that house. Let me. I don't mind doing that. 2035 Milan Avenue. Let me see if I can point out what it's near. I guess it's probably near the Halloween house. It's miles. Gonna make living a lot longer. So it's in the Alfector lives. South Pasadena, all that. Huh. Very nice looking house. It's clearly the house from the movie, yep. I wonder I mean I wonder if people can go in it and stuff. I wouldn't mind. If so, I'll go to the Child's Play 2 house and maybe film there. What I'm unclear about, and I guess I never really even cleared up with Ed Gale, is is that his shoulders when he's in the cost is, like, are they really animating that thing? Because if so, that's impressive. If not, it makes sense that it's like his shoulders or at least parts of his arms and they put, like, that big thing over his head. So now they're like trying to purport that everything's going okay. He's trying to give her a back massage. They have the chemistry of like of oil and water. This is a pretty fascinating strange sequence that 
sad that the young child actor uh, had to go through it, but I'm sure they took all the precautions possible. But it is pretty, um, pretty dramatic. I mean, he's getting paid to be in a very odd situation here. <laughs> in my opinion, I mean, it's crazy. Um, but this is a, one of the more classic horror movies of all time, and this is one of the more compelling scenes. It's a very frightening, frightening situation. And to think that he would, when they actually think that he did this himself, it's fucking insane. So the Chucky doll stopped moving. They walk into the room with him tied up and her trying to help. But it looks like almost like, oh my God, if it, what if that was a male older foster brother or something like that? I think their reaction would... So in my opinion... The reaction to this scene is so ridiculous, but I, lo- I mean, I love this movie, but the angle from where there should have been better coverage of the scene because it, Emily Valentine had like a dumbfounded reaction to it, or you know, Christina Lee's had like a dumbfounded reaction, and the director kind of like, I don't know, kind of could have panned around, sh- shown a little more horror to that because. It came off a little bit too comedic, in my opinion. It's a frightening, frightening scene. And then, and then, you know, yeah, the bozo husband and Jenny Agater coming in and Christina Lee's basically kind of laughing, a take of her kind of laughing, which I don't think there's any credibility as to why her character would be laughing there unless she's, like, out coming home drunk and there's no... Uh, revelation of that. Oh, this is a really beautiful area. When I am there, I want to see the other houses and see how they look comparatively because it almost looks like a little storybook type area with nice Victorian porches everywhere. The old uh, Bush Gardens of Pasadena had a similar area like that, but that's the northern Pasadena. I like her friends in this movie. They're kind of underdeveloped. That guy's wearing like a typical flannel shirt. And then her her friend, I don't know. Just, they don't really focus on her that much. But anyway, he goes to the back of the bus. He could have tried to befriend any of those kids. He's, he's basically just, he's like, fuck, nigga, I've seen some shit. <laughs> I'm going to the back of the bus. I'm not fucking around. And I am not going to befriend these kids. Um, You know what's bizarre? is I guess I'm realizing that this is supposed to be Chicago. And I never really realized that. What I minded if he just got adopted out to the West Coast. Like similarly, Children of the Corn... Those kids get fostered out to Chicago, I believe, and you can clearly see, you know, palm trees and like fifty percent of the shots of the movie. 
Um, but it does literally does not take away from the movie at all. It's like literally one of the best horror movies ever made. And if people people disrespecting or not understanding Children of the Corn Three and its greatness is really bizarre. Classic scenes in horror history, in my opinion. Everyone's had a really annoying grade school teacher. And everyone's been in this situation. Where you, uh, where you get, uh, you know, in trouble for retaliating. I think that Andy called him microchip. He said, get lost, microchip. I might use that as an insult more often. I don't really insult people all that much, but that's a pretty awesome fucking way to fucking dress someone down. Get lost, microchip. <laughs> so I don't know if microchip is maybe something he's heard from Chucky, but FUB is definitely something that Chucky wrote on his homework. So right now we're 41 minutes into the movie, having a blast. One of the best horror movies of all time. And this fucking Miss Peacock looking grade school teacher, she is throwing Andy around. So I, mean, I know Alex Vincent was well compensated for these two roles. I mean, he's a historic, obviously a big get at every comic con or horror con ever. I've only actually been to one convention. I really had a great time, and I really want to go to a lot more of them. Um, But, you know, everything that happened in the last year, the year that I could have gone after that, I just didn't go because then, you know, the distance and everything. But uh, I've corresponded with all these different people from these horror movies and he seems like an interesting guy. I mean, imagine not playing the role of Andy for, you know, from when it was this made, probably 1990. Uh, and then living through the 90s, living through the 2000s, and somehow in the middle of the 2010s, Don Mancini or whoever contacted you, and then you start playing the role of Andy again. In a, you know, what was that, the end of the, what was that, Curse of Chucky Cole. You know, the curse and cult of Chucky movies are pretty interesting. Uh, whether you like them or not, they, you know, they restart this storyline. The one, two, three. Um, with elements of four and five, clearly. But uh, I, I don't know if anyone can consider anything in four and five exact lore from one, two, and three. Um, in my opinion. So there's been, like like I'm saying, a total of eight, you know, kind of the, eight of the reboot, 2019. And the fact that Lafayette had any involvement at all, it's kind of interesting. Um, I wonder if this horror actress, you know, God bless her, is a sad, it's a difficult role to play. Similar to, like, the teachers that were in Lady in White. <laughs> it's like the, you know, what upside is there you end up looking like an idiot that gets murdered pretty quick but i mean she does a good job playing the role um i mean obviously the exposure the prominence of being in a movie like this getting killed that's beth grant beth grant quite a lot of stuff through the years the reason i bring that up with lady and white is both are having this kind of strange administrators and both have these like game room either killings or haunting situations 
I love Lady in White. What a great movie. If you guys have the DVD or an ability to get the DVD for Lady in White, the 1987 uh, kind of gothic horror movie, or I don't even know what you would call it, go ahead and pick that up. It has a really, really great commentary by the uh, director, writer. Really great performances. Okay, well, this lady, Beth Grant, would be in a really prominent role in movies. Uh, she's the lady that gets killed on the bus first in, uh, in Speed. So I believe he just stabbed her with a basketball pump. Now he's chasing her out with the ruler, like everyone remembers. Um... She was in No Country for Old Men, played Kitty Farmer in Donnie Darko, um, just in uh, Willy's Wonderland as Sheriff Lund. Interesting. So that's classic to be in another horror movie, uh, even if that one's not the best reviewed. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing that classic role in Speed, that's pretty cool. 233 credits, and she's directed twice. So they're parents to this kid. They are parents to this kid. And she just, uh, oh my God, man, that's crazy. The way that they react to the, the, the teacher getting killed at the... What, are they going to give him time out and tell him to go in the closet? That's some crazy shit. Or I don't know what they're going to do. Tell him that Chucky's in there. Right, so this lady is in like seven, eight movies a year. Beth Grant, God love you, man. You're the most hardworking person I've ever seen. She played Lady Bird Johnson in the Nellie Portman Jackie movie. So she's really worked hard through the years. She was in Speed, like I say, in that big role. She just got murdered in by Chucky in the game closet or whatever at the school. Um she played a maid in that Oscar winning movie, The Artist. Played a character named Joanne in Crazy Heart. That seems like I can remember her in that. Let's see who Joanne was. Pretty big role. Yeah. Like eighth billing, sixth, seventh billing. Played Joanne in Crazy Heart. Family. Is this what you call family? Families don't give up on their children. He's not our child. See, he is... This guy's a sellout little bitch, in my opinion. Shouldn't have taken the commitment on if he was. He wasn't ready. Because it's not like he made the child. He, he's taking in the child. If you're not ready for that, then don't do it. And now you got uh, her and him starting to bond because you got the biggest asshole ever as a stepfather. Or as a foster or whatever. And you got like a neutral to submissive uh, Janie Agater that's all talk, no action, really. I mean, she was in A Thousand Acres. I'd love to see that movie, but I mean, I don't really know. She doesn't have that big of a role. But no one ever talks about that movie. It has such a wonderful cast. She was in A Time to Kill. Maybe as one of them racist ladies. Uh, the mid-90s, early mid-90s was her time for big prominent roles in movies. 
don't know who she was in that, not very prominent, but at least she got paid and she was on the set of a very classic, uh, you know, 90s movie, Time to Kill. <laughs> um, I tried to watch it again recently, and it was just way too overdone. She was in Sea Slickers 2. I happen to like that movie. She was in The Dark Half. She was in White Sands. Obviously, Child's Play 2. Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Uh, Don't Tell Her It's Me. Otherwise known as The Boyfriend School. Uh, Managed a diner in The Wizard. She was a housewife in Flatliners. She was a mother at a farmhouse in Rain Man. She was, I mean, you get the point, man. This lady is incredible. She's like a walking uh, museum of, of modern cinema and television. Beth Grant, the lady that gets thrown off the thing at the end. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. But, yeah, I'm impressed to think that um, someone would be in that many productions. It's just amazing. This is a really um, dramatic scene. I would prefer that the middle of the movie did more and had more kills. Clearly, there's the Beth Grant killing that I'm, you know, obsessed with right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd prefer that there'd be like some other dramatic killing rather than seeing the Andy Torment because the Andy Torment with this actor doesn't really pay off any further. So I prefer to see more kills in the second half of the second movie if that makes any sense oh gosh it has a real dreamlike quality to the movie the whole thing you know I mean it's the worst nightmare to think that the outcome of part one would be that Andy is without his mother in the second one and that's almost like what this whole movie seems like is just a bad nightmare for him It's almost just so comical. There's just so much weird sound effects, and like he's always bumping into shit. And especially in the final act, there's just so many obstacles. And you know, what a madcap movie this is, but very slow actually in these parts and building tension through the horror. Where I would prefer two or three gadget based killings, where maybe Chucky just lusts for blood. And uh, runs around and kills someone in the hood in this little storybook neighborhood. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, 
That's clearly someone. It's gotta be a human hand there. See, I mean, look at them. Do they look like they're comfortable together? <laughs> He's barely sitting on the bed. He's like hovering. I mean, he's a good actor. I've seen him in other stuff. It's just, this is a sad, um, char- the character's so unsympathetic. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I don't really know why Andy wanted to get rid of that thing, uh, wanted to do all that so much. So he literally thinks the kid is a nut. That's so amazing, man. What a weird interpretation of events. <laughs> Chucky fucks him up. See, it pays off. It pays off. He gets fucked up. It's good. But not like really random people getting killed. Like a horror slasher would have been. Uh, yeah, I take the killing as it is. Because he's a dumb fuck. Oof. Oh, what a cool movie, man. Call him an ambulance. That's not what I would think. Yeah, he's definitely a goner. Landed all awkwardly. <laughs> okay, so then her neutral submissive ass turned to being like a like a uh, surrogate for his apathy and hate towards Andy. And then she says, get away from me to the foster kid. Unbelievable, but very believable as well. Who would be so mean to that kid, though? I mean, it's clearly not his fault that he's doing this. Or that, not that he's doing this, but that his, his attempts to try to kill Chucky end up being towards uh, horrible results. Where Chucky then is enabled to have fresh meat from the people that, Ch- to, that Andy interacts with. <laughs> So she said that he would listen to him, so like in key to the curb. Pretty harsh. What's that guy's worth if he's not able to be a good husband and father? Again, something that he chose to do. (laughs) Damn, she's straight kicking the fool out. I believe Grace dies. But yeah, this does have a very exaggerated angle. I'm not a cinematographer, I don't know, but one of the people that might be uh, able to tell me would be one of those. And like, everything's got a real drawn out look to it. I don't know if they're trying to go for the storybook type thing, but yeah, I'd love to get a child's play. Uh, Child's Play 2 DVD. Uh, commentary. 
All right, so I'm going to stop recording real quick, and then um, I'm going to, it's a two-part commentary. Ready? I'm going to stop and do the next one. All right, and we're back with the commentary, Charles Play 2. Um, they just basically kicked Andy out of the house, and... She is going to realize in a moment that the doll is really a problem. I believe when she's driving in a car is the sequence of events coming up here. But Chucky does a pretty good job. I mean, I wish there was a higher body count. There's the kind of the electrician, toy electrician guy, death at the beginning. Greg German getting killed by suffocation. Um, Beth Grant, the teacher, getting killed in a variety of ways in the classroom with a ruler and I think a basketball inflator, pumper, air pump. Um, and then the ineffectual husband and father, foster father, um, So the reveal is there that she now realizes that maybe Andy was right about that. But yeah, the basically the, the father got like a hook around his foot that made him uh, fall down the stairs in an awkward fashion where he landed on his head. So four decent killings. Prefer maybe like higher body count, I guess, in this movie. But I definitely love it. It's hard to not love. I should stop saying that because I should just accept it as it is. I've never thought about that until um, this uh, this viewing. So it's kind of like a shell game here. It's like, where's the real Chucky doll? Who buried the right one? Who buried the wrong one? Who's telling the truth? <laughs> I love it because it's just, I mean... Could have had her have different friends and all these different people being around the house right now, but it's a real dreamlike ethereal quality that I think occurs in Child's Play 2. Really exaggerated angles again with these drawers and. I really don't know much about, uh. <sighs> Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that she had a bad time making it. But yeah, I mean, their house is so random. What's up with all those weird clocks on the wall? They're... F I mean, I hate to say them anymore. She has a very strange house. And he was very possessive over their very strange items. Including that very strange ceramic blue princess doll. <laughs> and... Yeah, they have a very strange house. Who has that strange carpeting down the middle of their stairs? I don't know. I don't. I don't. It's just I wouldn't mind maybe having that though. Maybe prevents slippery or slipping, slipping down the stairs. Uh, but I mean, what if it you trip on it, or if it bunches up over the years, or it starts to kind of shred? I don't know. Is it worth all that? 
Probably would never do that. Maybe after 20 or 30 years. It's interesting to think about the carpenting decisions. If this house came like that or what. Her hairstyle is weird. At different points of the movie, it looks different. So obviously, you know, out of sequence filming. Um, But I've never really noticed that all that much. But I, I do notice that this time. At one point, it was styled slightly differently. And a little bit different in length as well. Somehow, I believe the mother was just killed. I don't remember this killing as much. Yeah, the stepmother was killed off screen, though. Huh. I would have liked to have seen that. I wonder if there's an. Let me know in the comments here. Is there an unedited. Is there a scene where Jenny Agutter is actually killed on camera? And he's biting her neck right there. That's fucking graphic and weird. Toy biting someone's neck. Yeah. No more graphic and weird than anything else in a horror movie, but just like gnawing on her neck. What the fuck? Toy. Toy murderer doll. Get away. Uh, yeah, it's a really, they really love their flannel, first of all, and she died in her flannel, I think he died in his flannel, they're, they're fucking down for their flannel, early 90s flannel, for someone that's an expert on decades, he's really graphic with his language towards her, um, and this is when he's driving. He likes to force people to drive places. If someone's excerpt on years and stuff, what's a decade? Is a decade 81 through 90? So is 90 actually the 80s? Or is a decade 80 through 89? Let me know in the comments section. Is a decade 91 through 2000? Or is a decade 90 to 99? kind of important when you think about it because this was shot in oh god I already went over the release date doesn't this come out in 91 oh god child's play 2 wikipedia I haven't been going to wikipedia I've been going to imdb but yeah 90 so let's say this was shot in uh you know, early in 90, is that the 80s? I mean, it's a stupid question if I'm wrong, but... You know what I'm trying to say is 0 through 9 is the decade. So 80 through 89. 81 through 90... It's not a decade, so the 90s is not... I don't know. I'm confused. Because I remember in the end of the millennium, people were always saying uh, 2000... The end of the millennium. You know what I'm saying? Like, the end of the millennium's ends at 2000. I don't know. I'm confused right now. But anyway, this cop is, like, bemused by this situation. 
and Chuck is trying to be bossy. So they're trying to purport this is Chicago. Very well, may we Chicago. But I believe most of it was filmed in L.A. It doesn't matter at all to me. I think they do a pretty good job with making it seem... I mean, if, if you know that it's L.A., or if you know it's Pasadena, then you know. And then it tells you it. And then you don't mind, because it's still a really good movie. But if you don't know, I don't know if you would know. And if you've never been to Pasadena, I don't know if you would know. I think you'd just think it's any town, or, you know, somewhere more suburban than the original Child's Play. Which, why, for instance, Child's Play 1, was she really as stable, and was it really as idyllic as it seemed before he got the Chucky doll? No, obviously they were poor. But was she a druggie or something? Like, why was she living in such an urban area, and why was her friend that weird redhead? And what was really going on with that? Because... Did she really just go crazy once Chucky uh, becomes her thing? You know, the problem? Because, I don't know, now that I'm analyzing that, it's so sad if that's true. Even more. So, I like this part. Everyone loves this part. Like, this plucky foster daughter doing everything she can to smash the shit out of the Chucky doll. And I think everyone's probably seen this part of the movie flipping around cable and been like, oh, shit, shit means business, man. It's just a pretty cool part. You know, no one's really expecting him to go through the plate glass window and this and that. But she don't know where Andy is right now. That's a little bit of a problem. So he's obsessed with her. You think you don't just move on, figure out other ways to torment other people other than Andy and her? But he got, he got really obsessed with her and Andy, clearly. Out of necessity. I've been debating going to get some food or, or something right now. Um, but I'm more interested in having ice cream. <laughs> Those are the kind of things I think of this. It's just such a, a good movie. It's just... Uh, I want to have some ice cream during it at times, but... I decided not to. you got to love Grace Zabriskie's hair. I wonder if it's like that now. It was sort of like that in um, The Grudge. Like, despite that the old lady in The Grudge was all laid up and scared to shit out of by the uh, crazy-looking Asian ghost children. <laughs> Grace just got it. Um, besides that, she was pretty... She didn't look that bad. She looked like, oh, man, get this lady going up on the Japanese... You know, social scene out of her house. She'd be doing a little bit better, but. So that's the best killing of the movie. No, nah, I mean, I'm not going to rank all the killings, but that was a pretty cool killing. He just t- killed and tortured the advocate right in front of Andy. Again, this kid goes through so much. 
the only one that's been advocating for him. And half heartedly advocating, but at one point really advocating for him. Gets stabbed by the toy that's supposedly not the killer doll. You know, that everyone's saying is not the not a killer doll. Well, hey, advocate, goodbye. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, my point is, I love the hair of uh, Gary Sibriski, the lady that was just killed. Really cool looking hair. Chucky's a bossy motherfucker. It's like, dude, that thing is 20 or 30 pounds. Should just throw it away at this point. That's the only thing you can say about Michael Myers and Jason. It's like, they're not going to tell you to go do something. They're just going to... And be on your back as a 20, 30 pound hindrance. They're going to make you do something, you know? And they've never really had to carjack or uh, get their soul redone a proper way, a different way. I mean, when it, when it did, you know, Friday the 13th, 7 and all that, uh, you know, it's a choice. It's a definite choice. And, and some people love Friday the 13th, 7. I love the elements of it, but not necessarily the biggest fan of the, the different choices involved. And... The elements of people knocking Jason take Manhattan about the soul switching and then Jason goes to hell. I can understand that. I mean, it reminds me, it, reminds, it, 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 it doesn't bother me more in Jason takes Manhattan um, than the other two movies I mentioned. Uh, I'll clear it because Jason takes Manhattan is like my favorite of the series and just because of maybe some somewhat odd things here or there in the movie. Um, yeah, I still love that one. Very, very rare opinion that is, but I do. Um, so that's a Chicago Sun-Times van. I would imagine they didn't fly out a Chicago Sun-Times van. So I think that's probably filmed in Chicago. Pretty cool looking van from the time. Remember the car chase being a little bit shorter, and I think that the car chase should be a little bit shorter. I think instead of the maybe like third or fourth sequence of this car chase, it should have been another killing by now. <laughs> I love that Grace killing. I really do. I didn't like the off-camera nature of the Agator killing. But that's okay. Like I said, I really want to know if there's a a different one. So I don't like how he manhandles her there. I don't really know what that driver's problem was. She has every right to try to head off that van if she thinks there's a problem. And then he calls her a crazy bitch after he like manhandles her. I'm not a big fan of that behavior. Let's back off. That's in Long Beach. It's a cool looking building. I would like to find where that was. I'm sure it looks nothing like that now. But did some good production design with those vans and with those uh, trucks. And the logo re on the outside, and I already have maybe some design that's, you know, was suitable for this. I really like this part. So she does a nice little like Indiana Jones style roll under the closing obstacle, and now we get the dank ass production design, the final sequence of, count them like, seven eight thousand Chucky dolls stocked all around each other and. I mean, if someone was holding on to me with a knife, I would have hoped that they would just 
try to make a physical move to stab, and when they did, just like throw them off somehow. But it's a little bit trippy to have a fucking doll holding on to this kid. I guess he's just a stupid kid, and you know, you know, Chucky clearly has a power over him at this point. He knocked him out by throwing him to the ground. Crazy. Chuck would be nice, dude. And this chanting is always classic. Adia Bella. I'm surprised that's never really been like a answer on a movie derby question or something that someone said. Adia Bella. I guess this is some really weird shit. Some crazy chanting. Check, he's angry. As this movie is getting towards the end, I hope everyone's enjoying. You know, if you've never seen the movie before, you, know, you may want to go back and watch it. I tried to present some of the information uh, involved in the production of it. Brad Dourif is the voice of Chucky. You know, after being in. Uh, uh, Fatal Beauty and Exorcist 3 uh, right in this time period, you know. He's just a terrific actor. He's also in Blue Velvet. Never heard of a movie called Sunny Boy, but he's in that. He's in Spontaneous Combustion. I really want to get the DVD for that. I really want to watch that. Look at all these Chucky dolls. I just love this part. Everyone should. Or, I mean, not everyone should. It's just a great part, in my opinion. Uh, novelization to this. Uh, going into the... Goes deeper into Andy Barkley and Chucky's past. Chucky was ha- characterized as having... To have an absent father, an abusive mother that was a dwarf. Chucky got teased a lot. Or a little person, I think that's the proper term. I don't know. Or had dwarfism. Ch- so it wasn't my terminology there um chucky got teased a lot because of this and later strangled his mother to death also chucky was put in special classes when he was younger that's not a surprise um (laughs) some of the reviews at the time or Someone named Evan Dixon of Bloody Disgusting, I guess in the last 10, 15 years, has written something saying that it manages to strip away all the artifice and still manage to be an effective slasher. you got to really love these particular parts of the movie here. 
That's like that thing at the, uh, what do you call it, at the uh, playground. Kind of like a jungle gym, but you're like going up in this, this little, you know, those little uh, rolling things. You got to be careful, and you just felt it's the consequence of that. Jesus, he's so violent when he's really getting into it. And so then she puts the gate down on Chuck Durst or on the on the Chucky doll's hand. Okay, the original script had an opening scene court hearing, but the events of the film that was cut. Elements of the scene appeared in a similar courtroom in the course of the Chucky. I guess that's what I was referring to earlier. I don't remember a courtroom scene in that. But, um, she was constantly on the set for the movie. That's so weird. Why wouldn't they just film her doing something? I don't know. It's weird. Don Mancini stated that an early draft said the film would be set around Christmas season. And this would have explained why there were so many uh, good guy dolls in the factory. I just think there'd be a lot of dolls in the factory at all times. I mean, there are a lot of dolls in the factories. Uh, the good guy child Tommy is named after uh, Tom Holland. Chris Sarandon was going to reprise his role from the first film. That would have been weird. The scenes were cut from the film due to budgetary issues. So I guess there's in the script, he was scripted to come back, and then they were all set to have him come back, and then they cut his script parts because he wanted more money, I guess. Or, you know, they couldn't afford the money that was agreed. At 84 minutes, the shortest child's play movie. This is the fun part. It's kind of like a big double there set. It's like, and if you get through this, you'll not get killed by Chucky, and what do you win? Well, you get a new Chucky doll. Chucky figured out a new arm to put on. And here he goes. <laughs> uh, the events cover only a f- span of four days. I guess that's true. Seemed a little bit longer than that. I don't really know if that's actually true. But anyway, according to this random-ass trivia, it says it's only four days. Look at those crazy-ass dolls. It would be really fascinating if they figured out a way to just... Uh, put Ed Gale in each one of those dolls and all animate them and composite them all so they're all just attacking at once because that fucking mindless force of zombie Chucky's that's that would be maniacal. <laughs> uh, all of uh, Chucky's voice work was recorded in advance so they could match up Chucky with the words, probably different than the first one. Uh, Dorif was rarely appeared on set, instead, recordings of his voice would be played for Alex Vincent to go by. Well, the fact that the kid needed the prompting, I guess, really shows you, like, how children need to have something to stimulate them to act, because I don't think a grown adult actor wouldn't, I don't think they take the time to play it on set, you know, if you're a 30, 40-year-old veteran actor. In my opinion, I wouldn't need the outside stimuli, I don't know of anyone that really would. Um, but I guess they wanted to have be it as authentic as possible to how the first one was made. Um, so I'm not a fan of the Seinfeld TV show anymore. I have a lot of very pointed reasons, and I'll point it out 
on a, my own podcast in the future. I've seen every episode many times. I love it. I did, uh, but not no more. But I guess Grace Zabriskie was on one episode playing Mrs. Ross, and a copy of Child's Play 2 can be spotted on the shelf in Jerry's apartment where he keeps VHS tapes. That's the most random trivia ever, and I guess it's true, but whatever. Um... Okay, I was wondering this. Mary Steenburgen and Karen Black were considered for Grace Poole before Grace Zabriskie was cast. I would have maybe preferred Karen Black. That was just the best killing there. The poor technicians in this movie get killed the worst. The electrician, they are not the worst, but that was pretty brutal. I mean, get your eyes popped out by that, you know, wacky double dare machine. (laughs) Um... Assembly line machine. Um, the, the the key art, the the posters and all that was really well respected and nominated for like the Oscars of the key art awards. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I don't really know about all that, but. Okay, so Mary Steenburgen, I wouldn't have really liked her in that role, and I could see why she didn't take it. Karen Black, I would have liked her better, probably, in the Grace of Risky role. Maybe Karen Black was busy or wanted more money, or I don't know. Um, Veronica Cartwright was considered for the Jenny Agutter role. Um, sometimes Kevin Yeager would just direct some of the public pu- puppet scenes. Maybe the director wasn't on set or not active in the role for that. And then we see Chucky get his demise there. I mean, they're smiling and everything, and they're excited, but how can they really actually think that Chucky's getting his demise? And actually, in this factory sequence, it's just been awesome. I mean, we should all just celebrate the factory sequence. It's just... I don't know how things are really made if this was a real factory and they just made little modifications to it because I only know that the... Oh, my God. Look at Chucky turned into. I only know that the... Uh, oh, my God. It's so gross. Um, ugh. It, so explaining that there he was once a dwarf or whatever, it almost looks like there's inside internal organ that once was a little person. Ugh, it's so totally gross, man. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, you can almost see that it looks human, but it's not, I don't know, it's all melted over. Anyway, sorry. Um, Something about the, the, something about the absent and abusive mother again. Uh, Grace Poole is named after... Servant of Mr. Rochester from Jane Eyre. I mean, I've read Jane Eyre. That's pretty random. <laughs> uh, you never believe that Chucky's dead all the way. Like, what is he doing there? So crazy.
Okay, so I just found some really interesting trivia. Talking about how malevolent that fool seems, that father that was killed falling down the stairs or whatever. It's Christina Lee's film debut. Check this out. In the Italian novelization... In the Italian novelization... Phil Simpson is somehow even more of an antagonist. So that's the Garrett Graham. He gets some new deadpan snarker lines of a pointedly cruel sort, like he does in the movie, kind of. And Andy senses the first time he meets him that there was something about this man that he didn't like. Wow. And to contrast with his boss, Sullivan, Matson is made more evil in the novelization by being shown... To be a cheating cad running around. Oh yeah, he's he's implied that he's cheating in the movie as well, in my opinion. Um, so they're realizing this inside of this. Oh, what a gross, gross situation. Opening credits reveal what's under the layers of Chucky. Um, this credit appears at this moment to symbolize the person underneath the credit. Okay. Uh, is that really trivia? It's like pretty obviously. I mean, if anyone's seen the movie, they know about the credits and how that's done and why it's done that way. Um, I don't know. Something about the the same composer of Dead Calm. Uh, Mr. Sullivan isn't as quite as evil in the novelization. I didn't seem that evil in this. Retaining enough humanity to care when the dude is electrocuted. He just seemed like a worker, businessman, and thrown through a window. He reacts the way a normal... Look at Chucky there. He reacts the way a normal person would, screaming for someone to call an ambulance. Also, Phil Simpson is more of a jerk. We already went over that. Um... I don't know, this person wrote some weird trivia on here. They said that the shirt that he's wearing is the same shirt that Miko Hughes wore in Kindergarten Cop. I don't know really how they know that. Pretty weird. Um... <laughs> The voodoo entity Dumbala, who in the movie, I'm going to finish some trivia, who Chucky refers to as the mighty Dumbala, ruler of life and death, in the novelization is hinted to be the god of evil. Whatever, this is stupid. Um, well, anyway, the Simpsons station wagon is this 1986 Ford Taurus. I guess this is the family that he's the fostered by. Um... Anyway, this has totally been a blast. I mean, this is, you know, one of the top horror movies of all time, in my opinion. And I hope everyone enjoyed it. The first part is on this podcast, you know, earlier. And um, this one's right here. Great job to all the set dressers, all the different people involved. Some strange choices here and there, and I pointed them out. But overall, I think everyone did a great job. And um, this has been a commentary for Child's Play Part 2. And stay tuned for more on the channel. Bye-bye.